Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by Rachel Glenn. Well, good morning. I'm super glad to be here with you today. Uh, So I've been having this ridiculous saga with my glasses lately. I brought them to show you. It's a self-inflicted saga. Of this nice little side situation. About in uh, around May, I, dr- I have a pair at home and a pair at the office. And in May, I dropped them, and I was really busy, so I just grabbed some tape and wrapped it up. A couple weeks later, I did a job interview, and I noticed the person we were interviewing kind of looking at me, and I was like, "Oh, I forgot about that. Sorry." And then we kept on going, and then my glasses at home. In the summer, uh, somehow one of my kids sat on them, cracked the frame. So the lens keeps popping out there. So then a couple of weeks ago, I was at the office. And I keep saying every couple of weeks, I really need to get new glasses. I really need to get new glasses. So a couple of weeks ago, I go to put them on, and the other side popped off. So I snuck into Juice. They always have a tape dispenser on the counter inside the office. And I was like hoping no one would look and quietly taped them up but I've had to go back in a couple of times and David their new facilitator who works there has caught me a couple of times (laughs) and he's like so why don't you get a new pair so my whole team makes fun of me almost every day about my glasses Grace showed up at work a couple of weeks ago and looked at me and she's like what is on your face and so finally I booked an appointment with the optometrist. I ordered new glasses. (laughs) And now I have been waiting for them. And I had heard I ordered them through this online place, iBuyDirect. It's far less expensive. And I heard they get them really, really quick. After I ordered my glasses, I ordered a pair for Nathan, and his have already come. And I am like waiting for mine, waiting. Every morning when I wake up, I look to see if they shipped. It's ridiculous, but I'm so excited to finally get these ridiculous glasses. So yesterday morning, they shipped. So I will no longer be made fun of. Around Tuesday, I will stop wearing these ridiculous glasses that if I put any effort into it, they pop right back off again. But it's just a silly way of saying, as I've been waiting for my glasses, as ridiculous as the whole situation has been, I was also preparing for this sermon. And it got me thinking a little bit about those times in our life when we're waiting for things. And it can be something as silly as my glasses. Or it could be the arrival by birth, by adoption, by foster of a new child that has been long awaited. It could be... um, Saving your money really hard. You guys might have done this. Save up to buy something really awesome, like a new bike or a drone or like a hydro flask and scrunchies. Or maybe it's something like you're waiting for a biopsy or test results. That waiting period can be really agonizing. And Advent is the waiting. And this is the season that we wait. Advent is the waiting, the yearning, the aching, and the longing for the Messiah. 
waiting for Jesus. So do any of the youth, do any of you know what Advent means? You just shout it out. It's part of it, but there's a specific word. Does anyone know? Any adults know? Good, good guess. So it means coming. Advent is derived from the Latin word adventus, and it literally means coming. So this is the coming of Christ, the coming of the light of the kingdom of God. So Advent has an interesting history. In the 4th and 5th century, Advent was a season of preparation for baptism of new believers at the Feast of Epiphany. That's cel- the Epiphany is celebrated in January. So it, was, it actually had nothing to do with Christmas initially. And during that time, Christians would spend 40 days fasting, repenting, and praying before Epiphany to prepare their hearts for it. It was far more similar to how we think of Lent and the season of Lent. So then around the 6th century, Roman Christians started to tie Advent to the coming of Christ. Their focus was towards the second coming of Christ, when he's going to come again. They were already longing for him to come back and to fulfill the prophecies that had been written throughout the scriptures. And during this time, Advent was focused on expectant waiting for Christ to return. So then in the Middle Ages, around 500 AD, give or take a little bit of time, we, Advent became linked with Christmas, more closely to how we know it today. And the focus turned towards the celebration of the birth of Christ, the arrival of the Messiah, his first coming. So now today, in our tradition, we both look forward to the second coming of Christ, and we look backwards to the arrival of the Messiah, to the Christmas story. So traditionally, um, the first two weeks of Advent are spent focusing on the second coming of Christ, and the, last, the third and fourth week of Advent are on the birth of Christ. So if you were to look back on all of the readings that we did this morning, they're all referring to the second coming, when Christ will come again. The days to come, mentioned in Isaiah 2, when we have no idea when the Son of Man is going to show up. That was referenced in Matthew 24. So uh, a quote that I really love by Rachel Held Evans, says, Perhaps more than any other season in the Christian calendar, Advent acknowledges the already and the not yet nature of the kingdom of God. In remembering the anticipation of Christ's first coming, we acknowledge and nurture our anticipation of Christ's second coming. So it's this time where, and this is very much tied to vineyard language, the already and then not yet. That's really what Advent is. And so, during the four weeks of Advent, we remember that Jesus has already come. Winner! (laughs) Okay, give that boy some candy. (laughs) Nice one. Congrats, Bryce. (laughs) Okay. (sighs) That surprisingly scared me. 
during the four weeks of Advent, we remember that Jesus has already come. He has broken into the darkness, and he has already changed us. He is present. He is here, and there is still so much darkness to overcome. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel discouraged by the state of things, especially our kind of rocky political climate and how polarized everything has become. There's so many good things that are in our world, and sometimes things just feel a little bit impossible. And that's the not yet. That's the place where we live in the tension between both realities, the already and the not yet, the redeemed and the not yet redeemed. So for the youth, and for those of you who are still young at heart, so hopefully all of us, um, so I just want you to imagine that you've gone to a really big shopping mall with one of your parents, your mom or your dad. For some of you, you might have been there recently. Nathan, bless his heart, took Grace Black Friday shopping to Conestoga. He wins brother of the year for that because there wasn't a hot chance I was doing it. <laughs> um, so imagine you're in a mall, you're shopping with your mom and dad, you're not really familiar with the mall, and at some point you get separated in the crowd from your parent. You're not really sure where they went. And you start to get, you know, like a little bit, a little bit nervous, and you're like, where are they? How am I going to find them? You start kind of poking into stores, you're looking through the crowd, and then way down the corridor, you see the back of somebody who looks like your mom or your dad. And you get this like little burst of hope, the, the recognition that, oh, that might be my parent. It's like a shadow of possibility. And so you start making your way towards them. But what do you guys think would be better? This possibility that it's your parent, this hope that you're chasing, or if they stepped out from a store and you realized, oh, that is my mom, <laughs> that is my dad. Obviously, I think you'd rather it really be your parents, right? Not just this hope that you're chasing down a corridor. So I like this quote tied to that, that John Piper said, that's the way it is when Jesus comes to be our high priest. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is the replacement of shadows with the real thing. So instead of just the shadow or the possibility of it, the Advent season takes us all the way through the possibility to Christmas Day when it gets realized. So Advent is the longing for the real thing. Christmas is the moment when you realize it's really them. And Advent is the space where you see their shadow or a glimpse of them and you're hopeful that it's them. So taking time to intentionally sit in the tension of the now and the not yet, to remember both realities, helps us to be sensitive to the presence of God in our lives, to yearn for more, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be in that place of hopeful anticipation. 
it helps us to add life back into the parts of our faith that we tend to take for granted or allow to get a little bit stale or dry kind of throughout the year. And we allow parts of our faith to become more like a mindless habit than something that we're intentionally interacting with. And even the Christmas season, we can take for granted, it's like we've heard the story of Jesus' birth so many times, but Advent is the opportunity to really stop and absorb the meaning of it before we get to the event. So Advent helps us to see things more clearly, like these ridiculous glasses that I'm waiting to replace. When my new ones come, I will be able to see more clearly. That's essentially what Advent is. So I think it's normal that we, we fall into taking things in our life for granted. We all end up doing it. It's, I would say, nearly impossible to be intentional about everything all of the time. So it's like when you say the Lord's Prayer, or maybe when you sing a worship song that you're super familiar with, you can say it or sing it, but it's more automatic. And unless we're being intentional about it, you're not really engaging with the meaning of it. So we can do the rote repetition of the Lord's Prayer, or we can pause and think about what we're saying and engage with the meaning of the actual words. It can be similar to grace, like saying grace before a meal, not grace the girl, grace the prayer. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes when my kids were growing up, they'd, I'd be like, who would like to say grace tonight? And it'd be like, dear God, thank you for a day, thank you for a family, thank you for the food, amen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or sometimes my kids used to go to a private Christian school, and they would pray like many times throughout the day, and it would almost be like this competition to say who could say it faster. Dear God, amen. Yeah. So grace can easily be a rush of words that comes out of our mouth, or it can be something that flows from our hearts. It's similar to, have you ever had this experience where you've either driven home from work, or you've walked home from school maybe, you guys, and you get there and you suddenly realize, I have no memory of driving home. I have no memory of this walk. It's like you've done it so many times that your brain just goes on autopilot. Like, I find that a little bit disturbing when that happens to me. So I'm like, how safe am I if I do not even remember the drive? So I've gotten into the habit of I take different routes all the time to places that I commonly go. So my brain stays engaged. And that's essentially, that's what Advent is like. It's this four weeks where we can take time to intentionally let God help us see our everyday things in new ways. It's a time to let God surprise us, to renew us, and to restore us, and to keep things fresh. So I, I'm sure that you've noticed that the commercial Christmas season has gotten a little cray. It seems to get a little longer every year, and... You know, I was in Costco in July shopping for the cottage and there were Christmas decorations out already. I know. Yeah, July. I feel as offended as you do, Ange. I see it on your face. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I was like, I can't even with the Christmas aisle right now. 
So I walked out of it. But it's like, usually after Labor Day, definitely after Halloween, it is all Christmas, all in, everywhere you go. Um, my sister is moving in next week. And so she wanted to have all of her Christmas stuff done before she moves. Like, I totally get it. But she's been sending me all of these texts and asking me questions about Christmas gifts and this and this. And I was sitting at my desk and I almost cried. because like, I don't want to think about it yet. Um, it just feels stressful. And it's like there's this growing expectation that we have to show our love for the people or our appreciation for like our family, our friends, our employees, our children's, like all of their teachers, their coaches, their leaders, that everybody, like the FedEx guy who delivers packages to the office, everybody gets a gift. And it gets a little overwhelming, right? So there's actually this really funny hashtag that has come up because like the season kind of, especially in the States, because their Thanksgiving is in November, it's like kind of October through to December. It's a little bit like, what are we celebrating? So I thought this cartoon was funny. There's actually a hashtag. It's happy, hello, thanks, Macus. Or thanks. Yeah. All the things. I liked it better when we celebrated one holiday at a time. So it, it's, it's, Advent is an opportunity to step into an antidote to the craziness. Oh, another winner. Yeah. Great. Nice. Good job. All right. And that is the end of our winners, folks. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So... Advent is the opportunity for the antidote to the craziness that is the season that we exist in, to the commercial Christmas that's all around us and all-encompassing. So I'm sure that you know that American Thanksgiving was on Thursday, and people gathered across the nation to be thankful on Thursday, and then at midnight, Target opened, and they were there, and they were getting their sales. So it's not lost on me that this year... Advent is right in the middle of Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, first Sunday of Advent, and Cyber Monday. It's this perfect interjection into the craziness of it all. And during this Advent season, for the next four weeks, I just want to really encourage you to lean into Advent, to think about how you might approach it in a fresh way, to see things with new eyes, to be intentional and to remember, to look for the places where God's light has broken through, and to long for the places where he is yet to come. So many churches, including ours, incorporate the lighting of candles into their Sunday services during Advent. And I just wanted to take a couple of minutes and just talk briefly through the meaning behind some of them. Because I think when we know the meaning, it adds a little bit of richness, and it adds a layer of depth. So when we look at the Advent wreath, it's a circle. It has no beginning and no end. And that represents the eternality of God and that we were part of his plan. The wreaths are also made of evergreen plants. So they are fresh and they represent new life. There's a sense of hope and ongoing life in them. And the candles 
Now, purple and pink, those aren't really our traditional Christmas colors. We usually go for the red and green, but they have a specific meaning behind them. So we have three candles that are purple, and purple is, represents repentance and fasting, and it's also the color of royalty. So it reminds us of the King of Kings, and the three purple candles, they represent hope and love and peace. So then there's the pink candle, and that represents the third week of Advent, joy. And it's this time when we rejoice. Um, and then oftentimes there's another candle in the middle. It's a white candle, which is called the Christ candle. And we light that on Christmas Day to remind us that Christ has come and that he is the light of the world and he scatters the darkness. And one of the things I really love symbolically is that as we move through Advent, we add more light. We start in darkness, and we add a little bit more light every week. So there's a growing hope as we approach Christmas. So on this first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of hope, we start with a dim yet growing light in the darkness. The flicker of light from the first candle symbolizes the hope that continues to stir in the darkness. And it is with hope, however small or fragile, that we come to Advent. So interestingly, Advent falls at the darkest time of the year. This is a season when the days are getting darker and the days are getting longer. And this is the season when Emmanuel, God with us, the Messiah, broke into the darkness and became the light of the world. So there's a very interesting contrast between the darkness and the light. In Christian culture, darkness is often used as a synonym for like sin or spiritual blindness and death. And that is true for sure. Good job. But it is often darkness that facilitates profound moments that lead to transformation and new life. Barbara Brown Taylor writes in her book, Learning to Walk in the Dark, that new life starts in the dark, whether it is a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, it starts in the dark. And so we symbolically start the season of Advent in the dark. And this darkness is necessary to new life, even when it's uncomfortable and it feels like it goes on way too long, like an overdue pregnancy. I know some of my ladies can relate. I'm not here for the overdue pregnancy. Grace Glenn. <laughs> um, in the Bible, the most commonly used word for darkness is, so I tried really hard to learn this word, please bear with me, Hosheka. This literally translates to the absence and opposite of light. But there's this other word for darkness that I found really intriguing and that stood out to me. And it's the Hebrew word Arafel. Arafel has a connotation of more than just darkness. We see it in Exodus 20 at the foot of Mount Sinai, right after God spoke the Ten Commandments to the Israelites. 
Verse 21 reads, The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness, Arafel, where God was. The thick darkness, or Arafel, is the place where God was dwelling. So more often than not, we associate darkness with evil and light with good. But this verse gives us a different perspective. Interestingly, most of the times in the Old Testament when God appears, it is this arafal. And God is present in the thick darkness as surely and as clearly as the brightness of his glory in other passages. God tells us in Isaiah 45.6, I am God, the only God there is. I form light and create darkness. So here's a helpful remember, reminder for any of us who struggle with that thick darkness. Darkness does not come from a different place than light. It is not presided over by a different God. The long nights of Advent point us towards the God for whom darkness and light are alike. Both can be fertile seasons. So even in the dark, the seed sprouts, the baby is formed, and Jesus is resurrected. So we learn to trust the darkness and to find it and wait for new life. After I was diagnosed with cancer, I experienced some of the darkest days of my life. I cried until I threw up and I broke blood vessels in my eyes. And I cried until there were literally no more tears that could come out of me. And in those dark days, I felt God's presence more poignantly and in a more real way than I ever have in my lifetime. He was clear and palpable and he was present. I hated the waiting, the wondering, the wondering if treatment would work, wondering what our family would look like on the other side, wondering if it would come back. I still wonder. I still, it's, a, a diff, it's different than it was when it was so fresh, but I think I will always be in a season of waiting in regards to cancer. But in the waiting, in the thick darkness, the arafal, I found God. And there I learned the difference between optimism and hope. And there's a very real and tangible difference. I had a lot of quotes and verses and well-intended sentiments sent to me. You know, caregivers and family and friends and random people that had heard about my story uh, would, would try to encourage me and would say, stay, pos- say, stay positive. Keep hoping. And it's true. There actually is research that shows if we can stay in a positive frame of mind, it helps our healing process. But I needed more than optimism. Optimism runs dry after a while. 
And I think that we use the word hope in a couple of different contexts. So I had a couple examples here. So when the world says give up, hope whispers, try it one more time. The best view comes after the hardest climb. It's always darkest before the dawn. Hope, hold on, pain ends. Not always. Once you choose hope, anything is possible. And there's truth in all of these. And it can buoy us up a little bit on a hard day, but it can't get you through the dark night of your soul. It's not enough. So the truth is that optimism and hope are radically different attitudes. Optimism is the expectation that things, the weather, human relationships, the economy, the political situation, illness, so on, that it will get better, that the situation will eventually change. Hope is the trust that God will fulfill God's promises to us in a way that leads to true freedom. The optimist speaks about concrete changes in the future. And the person of hope lives in the moment with the knowledge and the trust that all of life is in good hands. Hope is facing the darkness and crying for the light. When we plant seeds in the ground, we don't keep pulling them up every day to see how they're doing, to see what's happening down there in the dark. We trust that the seed will split, that roots will go down, that a shoot will come up, that will eventually reach the light and grow. And that's where we stand on this Sunday of hope in Advent. Advent reminds us to stop striving and to stop hustling. Because friends, we cannot hustle for hope. It can't be done. We can't force it. We can't find hope when we're white-knuckling our way through life. We have to let go to surrender. Remember that Emmanuel, God with us, is as present in the thick darkness as he is in the light. I felt that really poignantly last Sunday when we sang King of My Heart. When the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. He's never going to let, never going to let, never going to let you go. And that is the hope of Advent. That when the night is holding on to you, God is holding on and he's not going to let go. And we've seen that kind of hope in some of the stories that we've talked about over the last couple of months. Think about the bleeding woman who reached out to touch Jesus' robe. That was like, I mean, it's putting something on her, but I'm guessing it's like kind of this last kernel of hope as she reaches out her arm, reaching towards the light that, this, that Jesus would heal her. Or the fishermen. They had been fishing and their nets were empty. They were coming up dry. And Jesus says, 
drop your nets on the other side of the boat. They're like, okay. But with hope, they dropped their nets. And they caught such a haul that they almost sunk their boat. And sometimes we're in these seasons where it feels like it's too late for hope. So I think of Mary and Martha and their brother, their brother Lazarus. So their brother Lazarus was really sick and he died. And they thought it was too late, but hope was still coming. Jesus arrived at the height of their despair and he went to Lazarus' tomb. He cried with them. And then he called Lazarus out of the tomb, back into life. That reminds me that it's never too late for hope. That Jesus is coming. Jesus has already broken through the darkness and fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. So that is the story of Jesus over and over and over and over again. Right back to the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament, Jesus was the hope of new life for a nation that had been wandering in the desert. The Israelites were desperate for a king. And when all other hope seemed cut off, Jesus came. He wasn't a king of great stature, as many had envisioned. He came as a persecuted minority, an immigrant, born to an unwed Palestinian teenager. He lived, they lived under an oppressive empire with a cruel, power-hungry king. The Christ child entered the world as a baby who embodied all of God's best dreams for his people. And through Jesus, God made all things new and set all things right. And that doesn't mean that things go right all the time. I can look around and say that a lot of you know that they don't go right all the time. And sometimes they go wrong for a really long time. But it can be quite the opposite. But because of Christ, we can approach those dark days with the hope that God is holding on, and that he is a raffle. He is with us in that darkness. And that God's best dreams are for you. Romans 15, 12 to 13 reads, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. And that's referencing Isaiah chapter 11. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's my prayer for you, for us, for this body during the Advent season. And I would ask you to consider with me what new life is God stirring in you? How might you be intentional about making room for the coming of Christ over the next 24 days of Advent? 
Throughout this Advent season, we can be intentional about paying attention to where God shows up in our day-to-day, to where he breaks through the darkness, and to those places of not yet, that we're holding hope that he is coming. So we could do this. I just have a few ideas. Youth, you could engage with some of these too. This is something that we can all do. So you might start an Advent journal just for the next four weeks to help you keep track of where God's light has broken through in your life and where you're longing to come. You can ask yourself, when I wake up on Christmas morning, how do I hope to be different? As families, you might consider lighting a candle at dinner and sharing with each other where God has showed up in your day. You know, maybe it was a kindness that someone did for you. Maybe you saw an act of justice that moved you. Maybe you felt some sunshine on your face, and it was just really nice. So we could share uh, as families. And I think it would be really cool to hear our kids and adults interacting together and sharing where God is breaking in. We might leave some space every day at a specific time to listen and to wait for God. You might consider doing it in the morning before you go to school or work or whatever or set aside another time in the day. But just to be really intentional, even if it's just setting a reminder for 3.30 and you take five minutes and you pause and you reflect and you remember. Another idea might be to choose one person who is in a season of waiting and anticipation. Pray for them over the next 24 days. Encourage them. Listen to them. Maybe send them a card or a gift or a meal, a gift card. Just do something kind for them. Bouquet of flowers. For those who are great bakers, make them some cookies. Be a light bringer. But more than anything, I just want to leave you today with the hope of Jesus, with the not yet and the yet to come, that God is with us in our darkness, our raffle, and that he is holding on. I would encourage you to take some time this afternoon to find some ways that you can be intentional about Advent this year. I'd love to hear maybe next Sunday if you have done something intentional this week and how God has showed up in your everyday. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in love this day and always.